From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Ty Levine from Suplari. Ty, it's really nice to have you on. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited. So tell me a bit about yourself and your background, Ty. So I guess you could say if I had an elevator pitch, it would be pretty much like this. Midwestern, born and raised. I have a builder's mentality, and I don't use that term lightly in the sense that I grew up in a family that was three generations in the home building business. And I like to say that I take the same approach that my grandfather did to empty pieces of land and envisioning subdivisions of houses, I look at business that way. How do you build something? How do you create lasting value? And how do you hopefully put your mark on the work that you do? And I have taken that mindset for the last 20 to 25 years as, a, as both a marketer and a business developer. And in some respects, I think that there's some overlap to, to both of those functions and have done that at companies big and companies small. Love it. That's awesome. So tell me about what you're up to these days and a bit about your company. Sure. So I am at a, what I guess you would call an early stage startup, which is Suplari. Suplari is a spend intelligence software platform, otherwise known as a more common terminology in the industry is spend analytics which is basically a simple word choice for a piece of software that is able to go in and analyze all of your company's spend data, Mm -hmm. which may sound very simple, but is actually highly complex because most companies don't have accurate, clean data. And Mm -hmm. so we're able to take and clean that data first then using artificial intelligence and machine learning, sort of the secret sauce, and analyze that data to give you actionable intelligence. And it's really important to think of intelligence in two ways or information in two ways. There's information all around us, but is that information just numbers or facts or figures or anecdotes, qualitative or quantitative, or is that information able to transform itself or be transformed into actionable intelligence. And again, not just intelligence, but actionable. Can you do something with it? And that's really, when you're a decision maker, whatever role or function you have in a company or even in your daily life, you need to have information that you can act upon and that there's a reasonable certainty that the action you take has been informed by good data, good information, good factoids or whatever other uh, cliche terms you want to use. Nice. I love that. So who do your customers tend to be? Are they a specific type of company or any organization or tell me a bit more about that? Sure. So in order to you utilize and benefit from technology, wherever you are, whatever you do, you have to have a certain amount of mass. So If you're a a five-person startup company or even a one-person startup company, 
do you have the do you have the need to go out and invest in in a Microsoft Office platform? No, Google Docs are, are, are going to be good enough. If you've got a thousand people and you need the sophistication, you're going to invest in put a greater expense and investment in software. So it's the same thing with procurement technology, which is part of the space that spend analytics plays in. And for us, we generally think in order to create the savings, the value proposition for a company, you really need to spend, probably have a spend of around 600, 500, 600 million dollars a year in spend. Or another way of looking at it, generate revenue of around a billion dollars a year. Mm. Oh, so yeah. it's probably the it's probably the fortune four thousand ish because I think one one time I looked and and the four thousandth company in the fortune four thousand was was uh, generating about a billion two in revenue a year. So use that sort of as a as a data point. I love that. I think you're telling me a bit about it. You're, we use like a marker as an example. And we're like, one, one team could be buying the markers over here and the other could be buying them over there and one's paying more than the other. And, and, it, and it's, it's really true. So spending in a, in a company is broken down really into two main categories. And, it's, and what you're doing is procuring or procurement. And so you have indirect procurement and you have direct procurement. So if you think of direct procurement, that would be like a, 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 an automotive company or an Apple for that matter. They are buying pieces and taking those pieces or parts and building something. So all of the parts of your iPhone are directly procured and then built China or someplace, manufactured and created into a product. At the same time, every company has indirect procurement. Indirect procurement is literally everything that goes into your daily work life and the company's daily work life of running the business. From the chair you sit in, to the desk you work on, to the paper that you buy to print on, to the pen you write with, to the contracts that you sign for consultants or anything else in your organization. All of that is classified into indirect procurement. So as a whole, there are far more companies because it's all companies are doing indirect procurement. A subsection of companies are doing direct procurement. Nice, and if I'm understanding correctly, your software will like analyze all the, all the procurement and look at, you know, inconsistencies in spend, or I'm probably saying it wrong, but really just all those Yeah, your terminology is absolutely correct. So it's everything from, let's say you have a policy on whether, you're, whether your employees should take an Uber or a taxi or any other mode of transportation when they're, when they're on a business trip you're able or we're able to look at all of your transportation spend and take a look at, is there a disproportionate amount that's being spent on taxis? And is that significantly more than cost per ride per se than Uber? And you can look at that and say, wait a second, my, my, my employees are taking Uber 
are spending X and my employees that are taking taxis are spending Y, if we put a company mandate that you have to use Uber, we can see a cost savings of X. Mm. And that's a huge number across an entire organization and it becomes real money. So one of the things that, so consultants like to say, when I say consultants, I mean the, the Baines, the AT Carneys of the world, the McKinsey's of the world, the Accenture's of the world. They like to say that they can go and into a company and save you 10%. Well, I think many of us that are listening to this podcast have an idea how expensive those consulting firms are on an hourly basis to do that. And yes, you're going to save money. Will you save 10% and then compare it to how much you spend? Is it truly 10%? Eh, probably not. Software, especially software like what Supari has created, that it has a strong artificial intelligence and machine learning backbone to it, can be implemented. And we can save you 4 to 10% on that spend. So think about it. If you're spending a billion dollars a year. If I do my math correctly, yeah. that, that's, that's, that's up to $400 million at 10%. But oh. even at 4%, it's real money in savings that we can help you reallocate and reinvest into your company. And one of the things that we like to, to try to say and we do really believe this, is that while what procurement officers and procurement departments do in a company, they are the spenders. They are the ones spending the money. And yes, they are instructed to get the best product at the best price on time Everything that you can think of, you can use any Amazon cliche that you want. But at the same time, they have to be strategic. And companies are, in many respects, because of COVID, because of the changes in the dynamics of how we work today, and we will work this way in the future, have to be even more, not necessarily cost sensitive, but budget sensitive. And so you only have so much money to spread around to invest in your company and growing. Well, instead of thinking about this as how can sales sell more, how can different parts of your organization actually generate revenue through cost savings? And that's where a strong spend intelligence, and that's how we, why we've up-leveled the terminology, sort of the marketing speak has changed. At the same time, there's true value in the words that we use, and that's no longer just analyzing spend. It's seeing where there, you can be more intelligent with your spend. And then we use a term called spend agility, and it's really how do you become more agile in your operational spend, in your operational investment, and everything that goes on in operating your organization. Love that. So... I'd love to learn a bit more about what this last year has looked like for you guys and really what marketing looks like in this space. You know, what is, what does all that kind of look like? So it's like anything else. When you have a, a, a young company, 
you have to do two things somewhat at the same time. And there's a lot of writing out there and you can Google this. There's a lot of chatter that the first thing a young company should do and a young marketing organization should do is be product marketers first and last. And while I see the credence in that, and I do believe that, at the same time, I think we live in such a fast-paced, results-oriented world that it's hard to actually show results if all you're doing and all your focus is on product marketing. And when I say product marketing, I'm talking about obviously getting the messaging correct, getting the positioning correct. You have to do that. Talking to your customers and your early customers and turning them not only into advocates, but in a sense, non-commissioned salespeople, so to speak, because the value of what they say about you is the most important marketing tactic you will ever be able to, to utilize. However, if you don't create brand awareness, if you don't create awareness for your product and where it fits into the, into the scheme of things, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle because unless you're the first mover where nobody is competing with you or nobody knows what can be done with what technology is out there, you're going to be fighting against somebody that's already entrenched in the marketplace, mm. already has a brand that people go to. Whether it's a good product or not, they're going to get the first telephone call. They're going to get the first email. They're going to get the second email. So you need to be fighting that front as well. And so what we've been doing at Supari is really doing both of those at the same time. Yes, we're a four-year-old company. The first year is obviously for all companies is, is sort of figuring out what the product is, building the product, getting it out in the marketplace, testing it. So for the last couple of years, what we've been doing is, is creating that awareness, creating that market penetration, getting strong brands like, like Nordstrom, British Telecom, Zillow, Hulu. These are all optimal brand names in their, in their vertical spheres. And then at the same time, helping to position the, the, the understanding of we're not just a spend analytics platform. We do a lot more. We integrate not only with the procurement function of your organization, but play a huge role in the finance operation of your organization and really how to bring those two organizations inside a company together. Love that. So what are some ways in which you, you build relationships in your market? You know, you, it sounds like not only are you advertising the product, but you're also, you know, focusing on how do we, you know, get some of these big name customers in our market how do you go about doing that and starting to build those relationships? So over 25 years, not just being in procurement, but I've been in other vertical industries as well. I'm a strong believer in a couple of relationship building components. The first is I can tell you how great I am. But if Joe over here who doesn't work for my company tells you how great I am, who are you going to give more credence to? Joe's going to get it over time. So I'm a big believer in how do you build external partnerships and how do you leverage those? But then at the same time, how do you build a relationship with your customer 
and utilize that and utilize them to help sing your praises. One very little sort of nuanced terminology that I have said to, to people that have worked for me in the past is don't think of your customer as a customer. Think of them as a client. Mm. And it's a very innocuous, probably even trivial use of words. But customers sound very transactional. A client sounds very investment partner relationship oriented. And so I have always believed that I have clients, I don't have customers. Because if I have a client and I invest my time and my communication and how I treat them, they are not only going to be a customer for life, but they're going to be a relationship for life. Mm. And so it's like, you know, do doctors think of their customers as customers? They're patients. Do lawyers think of their, their clients as customers? No, they're clients. It's sort of an up-level terminology. And at the same time, understanding that when you're building relationships, you have external clients. And yes, those are the people that pay you money to buy your product or buy your service. But you also have to build relationships internally in your organization. I am working on a daily basis. I am interacting on a daily basis with two audiences that are just as important as our external paying clients. And that is the sales organization and the product organization. I need to know what's, what's coming that's new. I need to know how to articulate what is the highlight of the product that is being featured right now or has been improved upon. At the same time, I am a service organization to the sales organization. So my team has to be constantly building those strong relationships so that a salesperson can feel comfortable sending an email, sending a Slack note, picking up the phone and saying, I need this and here's the reason why. And that's critically important to being not only efficient, but being effective as a marketing organization for any company. I love that. So kind of related to all that, what would the key takeaway be from you for other marketing leaders listening? What key advice should they take away from this? I think a couple of things. One, you're a service-oriented individual. Your focus needs to be the audiences that you serve. That's number one. Number two, you have to have incredibly large ears first to listen and to ask questions second and constantly ask questions. I remember a time working it into it a little over a decade ago and the CMO said, we don't live in a who, what, where, when, why organizational culture. It's a why, 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 and then you can get to the other words. It's always be asking why this, why that, and constantly probing and poking. I think that the other, the third thing, as I mentioned before, is building relationships. I'm a strong believer as you have to, that your first audience, your first group that you serve 
is your internal organization. An anecdote that I like to use with many people is about 20 years ago, I ran marketing and business development for a company that no longer exists, but it was Knight Ritter. And Knight Ritter at the time was the second largest newspaper publisher in the, in the country. And, and we had built a, a huge national network of city sites. And I helped grow it to number one. And I had a team of 12 field marketers. And I said to them one day, or I said to one person one day who said, you know, we're doing this in marketing and our sales is off selling this and there's a disconnect. And I said to him, I said, who, who's your customer? Using a basic term that everybody obviously, what we weren't at the client level yet in terminology. And he said, well, we're, we want to reach 25 to 54 year old. I'm like, no, no, no. Your number one customer is your VP of sales. Because guess what? If they're not selling anything, we don't make any money. If we don't make any money, we don't have any budget to do marketing. And if we have no budget to do marketing, there's no need for you and me. So it all starts with, you need to have a weekly meeting with your head of sales in your division and find out what are their salespeople out on the street pushing. And then you have to tweak and craft and update the local marketing strategy to meet that initiative underneath the umbrella overall marketing strategy. So what I'm also saying is sort of step four is, is having a marketing strategy that's flexible. Having a marketing strategy that, yes, has a consistent message, yes, has a consistent target audience, but being flexible. I'm a strong believer that in order to be an effective marketer, you need to meet your client or customer with the right message that they can understand where they want to consume that message and how they want to consume that message. And if that means that your audience is doing nothing but watching TV, well, then I guess television advertising is what you need. If they're only watching TV between the hours of, of 8 and 10 at night, well, then you know where you have to send that message. If your audience is looking and, and, and is heavily invested online, then you've got to shift your dollars over there and your efforts over there. But it's not where you want them to consume. It's where they want to consume you. It's very important to be able to look at things backwards. I'm, I was very lucky to be exposed to a gentleman who passed away a couple of years ago. He was a professor and then professor emeritus at Northwestern University who coined the term integrated marketing communication. And the whole nuance or nexus of that terminology was you work backwards. You don't develop something and develop the message and develop where it's going to go and how it's going to go and how it's going to in in interact with. You, know, you start with the customer, the client, and then you work backwards. Where are they? Who are they? How do they engage? How do they consume? And then work backward to develop your strategy and develop your messaging and the workflow to get to them. But you do it backwards. Incredible lesson that I learned early in my career and I've taken it with me ever since. Nice. I love that. Well, Hey Ty, thanks so much for joining and sharing all your wisdom and insights here. 
Really appreciate it. No, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate the, giving me the opportunity and the platform to, to share whatever little knowledge I have and the experiences that I've gained over the years. And uh, hopefully it'll inspire someone else to be the, uh, the next great marketer that's out there. Yeah, totally.